This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Monday, 2nd of January, 2023. It's our first podcast of the new year, obviously. And um, in case you've not been tuning in for a while, we did do a special edition podcast uh, all last week and uh, for a couple of days the prior week as well. So do look at the uh, the backlog there. Uh, got a little overview there on slide two of today's slide deck. Uh, just go to your, your podcast app or saxostrats.podbean.com and you can see the last six special editions we did there to end out the year. Especially, I think what was a lot of fun was recording the listeners podcast last a week on Friday, trying to answer some of your questions and looking at your predictions for this year. So, uh, yeah, we're sort of rolling into the new year here, uh, churning markets back and forth, at least in the S&P 500 terms. A couple of other interesting developments, though. And you can see the slide three, the, uh, the latest S&P 500 chart, perhaps the uh, support being that 61.8% retracement of the entire uh, rally off the lows from October around 3780 or so, at least on the, uh, the March future we're currently trading. But we have a U.S. yields. Uh, up towards local highs here and the dollar at multi-month lows. And we'll talk more about that later. But any impressions? And we have the U.S. and U.K. markets closed today, so it's a pretty low-energy day. But I think it's uh, going to be important to, to see how the first couple of, of weeks shape up in the new year. Uh, what are you seeing, Peter, as as we've rolled into a, a new calendar year? Yeah, we have uh, stocks 50 futures up 0.7%. Uh, um, very tight trading range for that. European equity futures contract. Let's go have a look at that on the on the chart. And we have had the Hang Seng futures down around a percent. So a little bit mixed opening uh, in the new year. If we look at the theme baskets overview, which is on slide three, we can see the year-to-date performance across different theme baskets. And commodities and defense, those two baskets were the best performing last year. I don't think there was a big surprise for the regular uh, listeners or, uh, or readers of our slide deck. All the energy-related things like nuclear power, renewable energy, etc. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a in a in a few seconds. But um, those were also doing quite well on a relative basis. And then what I'm curious about is whether we will see the same, and whether we'll see a continuation of the momentum from last year in the flows because there's fresh money, there's fresh fresh thoughts. We we close the chapter in 2022. Some of the same issues are still around, but. It will be interesting to see whether there are, you know, whether the positioning for the year for the year has changed a little bit, and we we typically see that very early on in the first couple of weeks of the of the new year. So that what I'm really excited about it, and of course we'll we'll have earnings in a, in a couple of weeks uh, from now, beginning rolling in for the for the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean we did have for the year on balance again those balanced for- portfolios or what people thought were balanced portfolios, for example the sixty forty portfolios, equities and bonds. Having the worst year, at least according to an FT overview, I tweeted this out, their worst single year in nominal terms since 1871. Um, so not a good year, to say the least, for investors. I was sort of noticing, though, if you look at the longer term perspective and you can look at the weekly um, S&P 500 chart at the end of the slide deck, there were trading at levels. I mean, we, we've talked about what a terrible year it was last year, and we did see the cycle lows hit in October. But the levels we're at currently around this 3800 area were first reached back in May of last year. So, I mean, to think that we haven't really done anything level-wise, despite the fact we've rallied and, and it, we've both been higher and significantly lower, we're at the same level we were in May of last year. That's, that's, that's to my mind, something uh, 
uh, worth considering as well. All right, let's, um, and you brought in uh, the Hang Seng there, by the way, Peter, the official services PMI out overnight in China, a reading of 41.6, very low, a huge collapse in that reading. The irony being, once again, that as the zero COVID policies were largely wound down from around December 7th, uh, we're seeing activity levels drop, not because of zero COVID, but because so many people are getting ill and avoiding the illness or home ill or whatever the um, impact is. And uh, again, I think it's going to be this month and, or sorry, December and this month that will be the two big months. And then we'll begin looking about the impact of a China that's normalizing. And I think that impact will be quite considerable also for energy prices potentially. And let's go to energy prices. So I've got a, a you inspired me to, to put this little uh, snapshot of, of the uh, some headlines from today's FT, Peter, uh, and especially going to talk about the one on the left there. It's on slide four. Brussels plans energy market overhaul to curb the cost of renewables. So the irony being, first and foremost, that if renewables are expensive, shouldn't that be reflected somewhere in the system? Uh, and if to, if we're going to make them cheaper, then why are, why are these suppliers going to invest in them to provide this energy to uh, the population uh, if they're not allowed uh, superior returns? And talk about superior returns. Look at that headline, Exxon and Chevron, $100 billion in profits on the surge in oil prices this last year. And then I think on the what we would agree on the Saxo strategy team is likely the longer term future key point for uh, energy or key uh, baseload provision for energy is more likely to be nuclear than renewables unless they can figure out a way to store these renewables. But uh, that nuclear uh, that headline U.S. nuclear enjoys revival as public and private funding pours in interesting headline there. So I'll let you take it away on the slide five, Peter, where we've put up a couple of charts on the, the, the system cost of renewables. And that is the key. We, we talked a lot about it in some of our special edition podcasts as well. This is just such a key part part of what makes energy prices so volatile when you have a high presence of renewables in the system. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so we 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 have this Bloomberg uh, New Energy Finance, which is a, a unit under the Bloomberg that really does a lot of interesting research into the renewable energy space and, and all Related things to energy, and they just came up with the recent cost estimate of uh, energy storage for a four-hour uh, time span, <clears throat> and that's what you see on the left side. So the cost of that increased twenty-seven percent last year, and then um, the system cost today, I think mostly is is related to battery storage. Uh, so that's related to lithium and other types of raw material inputs for that technology, and then we have a, a you know an emerging energy storage technology coming up, which is the power to X or, you know, hydrogen, green hydrogen. So use the excess energy when, or the excess power production when you have a lot of wind and solar to generate hydrogen from water through uh, electrolyzers that split the hydrogen atoms out of the water. But that technology is, is far more expensive than what we have with lithium battery storage. And you need storage, as you say, John, if renewable is to deliver baseload. So there, there is a conflict here in, in many ways. And we we talk a lot about carbon emission taxes and and, and surcharges because we, we deem it as a negative externality, pollution and the effect on the atmosphere, et cetera, all these things. But there is also a system cost to renewables. And why is that not priced in? So if you're not, <clears throat> and we talked about it in some of our latest podcasts uh, for last year. I mean, if you don't, if you don't have a, if you don't have a system cost or a price mechanism for the negative externalities of a lot of renewable, which you know creates a lot of volatility in electricity prices, which makes planning very difficult for industry and manufacturing, then then you're back to then you're back to square, and you get a misallocation of capital and investment in the electricity production. And I've put in as well the uh, the one month forward 
baseload power contract in in Germany, and you can really see how the the crisis were already starting and brewing before the war in in, in Ukraine. So. I think there have been a lot of talk in the EU that, yeah, they all go back and say it's all about the war in Ukraine. Well, as Ole said all along during 2021, we know Russia was also planning the war. So they were already impacting the, the natural gas supplies to Europe already at that point. But the, the crisis were already brewing and we would have had it regardless of what happened in, in Ukraine. And I really hope that this year will 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 profoundly change the the idea in Europe about this, as you said, John, you know, the base load and renewables are not really generating that. And what do we want to to do in terms of base load in the world? Is it is it nuclear? Is it is it gas or is it something else? But we need to figure it out and we need to figure it out fast in Europe, I think. Yeah. And in the meantime, in the very short term, we're having ironically this extremely mild weather in Europe, ridiculous to see 10, 11 degrees on New Year's Day in, in a place like Denmark, where we live. Uh, I saw somewhere that Germany was even managing to build some of its natural gas supplies because uh, it has been so mild of late. And you've got some overview. You've got an over here on slide six of what's going on in the uh, whole natural gas space uh, as weather is a massive impact here. Yeah, John, and just before doing that, uh, just finishing off uh, what uh, Peter mentioned there with the volatility in, in power generation, uh, the National Grid Life uh, System in the UK is really just a, a fantastic uh, gauge for a monitor for that. Right now, the uh, now right now, uh, gas or renewables uh, provides around eight gigawatt of the uh, input to the UK system. Uh, but just before New Year, that was uh, near a record twenty gigawatt, and we early December we all we saw it below two gigawatt. And remember, one nuclear power plant uh, produces around one gigawatt. Uh, one average nuclear power plant produces around one gigawatt. So this is just basically turning on uh, numerous nuclear power plants on and off on a daily basis, and that's. That's really why we have this extreme volatility in in, in power prices based on where where the where it has to be be sourced from. But yeah, um, finishing off the uh, the the gas section and energy European energy situation, as you can see, we are we are below levels at uh, the the Ukraine war level. We're back to uh, levels last seen in February last year, and the main reason is simply as John mentioned, it's very warm. Uh, we we keep our gas demand down. That basically means there's been a small build ahead of year end, as you can see on the inserts there. Based on the last three years' withdrawals from the December uh, th December thirty first to the to the bottom around March time, we are going to end this year somewhere in the region above five hundred. But also consider we have seen a quite a sharp reduction in demand overall. So that level we're likely going to end up uh, end with inventory levels quite a bit higher than than that four hundred and twenty ish area that uh, I, I pointed out. So that will leave the situation for the coming uh, winter much well more manageable at least than uh, than what it was just uh, just a couple of months ago and that's why the the price for next winter is also coming down at this point all right let's roll forward to uh, a really key market to to follow here because it's one of the few that's posting and maybe more interesting signals and that is an fx and uh, we've seen the dollar really ending 2022 on a pretty weak note i put dolly in on the overview on slide seven the dollar pro broadly weak here, and it's kind of curious to see that despite the uh, backup in U.S. Treasury yields, especially at the longer end of the yield curve, normally something you would associate with dollar yen actually rallying. The lay of the land here is the market is still expecting this this Fed rollover next year, where it's expecting the opposite from the Bank of Japan, especially once Kuroda exits in April. So uh, some of it is the anticipation around that, even though the actual indicator is something like the 10-year uh, in the U.S. is uh, pointing the other way. I think there's also the risk that there's a lot of end-of-year type of flows. Uh, coming into the end of the year, we also have all kinds of liquidity considerations here uh, that are particular to the year end, but also particular to the budget ceiling debate. Uh, 
where we've seen the um, <clears throat> it looks like the Republicans are punting this into the new Congress here to start the year, and uh, the, some of the, and the GOP apparently uh, promising to do whatever they can to extract concessions uh, once again from this issue or extract concessions from the Biden administration by holding U.S. Uh, you know Treasury holders hostage, and this whole short term issue around the budget ceiling is just absolutely ridiculous, but it does have tremendous impacts. It means that the Treasury has to draw down its general account uh, around 400 plus billion now, and that's that's way below where it was before. It's been drawing down and it can draw down to, let's say, $100 billion easily. So that's $300 billion of liquidity uh, they can add to the system. I need to investigate uh, more around this uh, repo facility for the Fed, which is ballooned from it was pretty stable around two to two point one or two trillion last year, uh, and then it ballooned to over two and a half trillion in just a few weeks into the end of the year. So just there are all kinds of uh, uh, you know effects around all of this that will play out in, in the coming month. Uh, not to mention just how we sort of get off to a start with the macro data and whether the narrative is confirmed around the Fed eventually uh, easing by the end of the year. We did see a big jump in the consumer confidence reading, for example, last week, that did not fit with a normal recessionary patterns, it would suggest a strong labor market. So interesting to see that first December payrolls data uh, print uh, when we see the, that coming into view on Friday. But you can see the overview on slide seven. So dollars weak, it's not terribly weak in terms of our, our trending uh, measure here, but it is weak across the board on average. Sterling also weak, uh, a pretty interesting jump in euro sterling. Uh, you're wondering how the UK is going to be able to fund itself this year with its plans, uh, Bank of England plans to do quantitative tightening. And the Japanese yen sitting tall, again, some of that year end, but I think also the anticipation around a new Bank of Japan leadership. And uh, Ola, you're uh, on here with on slide eight with the latest refresh of the FX positioning, at least in the U.S., futures market, where it's a pretty remarkable euro long. And I just add to that on that euro long. So yes, we have a very hawkish ECB, but we're also seeing some strain in those EU peripheral spreads. So that's another thing we need to have on our monitor as we, we get underway this year. But uh, what are you seeing in the relative positioning adjustments from this latest uh, FX uh, uh, commitment of traders report? Well, basically, that uh, that the, the dollar short at the, the end of uh, last year was basically uh, reached the highest levels uh, we've seen in in uh, in, in quite a while. And uh, the, but but if we did drilled into the numbers, we can see that short is primarily driven by a quite extensive long in the euro uh, euro dollar, and that's also the the chart I put in there, as you said on on slide eight. We can see that long is now the equivalent of uh, close to twenty billion dollars. Uh, um, while the overall dollar short is only uh, seven billion, so that basically means that uh, the dollar is still long against most other other currencies, and that also just indicate that this is not just a pure euro dollar long. There's obviously a lot of euro cross trading going on as well. But but generally, investors have a very friendly view on the euro as we start the year. That's obviously always one thing that can make you a little bit nervous. Uh, Again, considering how sometimes movements uh, change not to be, sometimes doesn't uh, at least continue in the into the early parts of a fresh year. So uh, we'll see. So, um, but so I think that's main takeaway just to just to be aware of that uh, extended uh, positioning in in the euro right now. And staying with the positioning, John might as well just move on to uh, to the next slide because uh, what we also saw ahead of year end was 
uh, hedge funds loading up on commodities once again. Um, we've seen a, a drop uh, over the year as prices uh, suffered uh, from the extreme rally we had during the first quarter. But as we start end of the year, there was a broad interest uh, in, in commodities, not only from fresh longs coming in, but also short positions being scaled back. I think that the, the biggest one, or the biggest one you can see on the following slides, slide 10, was Brent crude, where we saw the biggest uh, jump in 17 months. You can see the overall the lens, however, is still half, probably around half of what uh, the the average we've seen over the past five years. So so plenty of room to accumulate. But we're starting, obviously, the year in, in the energy market with a, with a whole host of uncertainties. I think the two biggest one will basically be the potential offset between a recovery in China over the coming months and the recession risk that uh, will continue to play its part in impacting the potential demand from some some uh, some key uh, key uh, key countries. So uh, that's really going to be the focus as we start the new year. All right, Peter. On the earnings front, we have the end of the quarter last week, end of the year. Uh, I suppose earnings season starts to crank up. Uh, is it next week or is it the week after next? But there are a couple names out even uh, even this week. Yeah, we will have to wait a couple of weeks because in two weeks' time. So not this Friday, but the following Friday, we will begin to have the first really early U.S. financials reporting earnings, and then the the following week will ramp up. So people will have to be a little bit patient here. In the meantime, we have a couple of earnings released this week. On Thursday, we have Walgreens Boots. Um, for those that that are not living in the U.S., it's a what would you call it, John? It's a it's a pharmacy chain, basically, right? Prescription prescriptive drugs, etc. Right. Uh, well, Walgreens, yeah, but with the Boots Alliance, of course, it's uh, linked up with uh, with the UK as well. But uh, Walgreens is just a, a chain of yes pharmacies and and what you call drug stores, which are an odd thing, I think, for uh, for many Europeans to understand. But it's uh, you have the pharmacy side of it, but you also have some some retail sort of yeah, light exactly. retail light retail around that. Yeah, exactly. And and as you can see, I've put in a little bit small insert there on um, on the financials on slide eleven. You can see that the the twelve month trailing revenue growth is almost zero percent so in an eight percent inflation environment that's obviously pretty bad and if you look at the share price here not in, not taking into account any reinvestment of dividends etc it's it's a pretty uh, bad price chart to say the least here so i think that i think it leaves a lot of uh, of good wishes or uh, hopes for for management to turn things around in 2023 and before you take the macro calendar john I'm just curious whether an uh, an FX guy like you, I mean, is it something you celebrate or not? You know, I just saw that you know Croatia is joining the uh, the euro, and as and does that really make any difference for for that currency? And it's also joining the Schengen. I think it's a very powerful signal to the in uh, amid this uh, whole uh, geopolitical picture we have in Europe and with some countries and uh, on the Balkans and and also Hungary not being particularly EU friendly. That Croatia is now moving in a totally different direction. Yeah. Uh, well, specifically on that news item, I don't think it really means anything. It's such a small country, Croatia. Nothing against them, and they certainly, from a football perspective, they uh, they <laughs> they uh, box way above their weight class uh, in terms of population. But um, I, I do think we need to look at the existential question at some point. Once again, they've they've really, and as a first response to the breakout of war in Ukraine, they they pulled uh, together the closed ranks. These uh, the common defense uh, message, etc. But when things start to calm down there, very hopefully and very soon, hopefully, what is that sense of cohesion when you see some financial strains? Uh, France, for example, is extremely loaded up on the debt side uh, relative to to many of its peers across Europe. You're starting to see some strain on the spreads. Is Germany willing to underwrite 
Southern Europe, all these old questions still remain. So, I, you know, I, I still have open question. I still have an open question over Europe. The, the foundation is still not as solid as it needs to be to put these issues uh, to rest. So, and this could be the year where those uh, cracks start to reemerge if we do head into a recession. If we're a bit too early on that call, and that's our, been our general, has been our general uh, theme here that the recession calls are a little bit too sort of pre-advertised, and everybody's sort of baked that into their expectations. What if we see a, a bit of resilience here? We do have energy prices down quite a lot, for example. Uh, there's a lot of fiscal coming on board in Europe, et cetera. So uh, maybe this is something that emerges uh, further down the line. Uh, maybe not this year, but we are seeing spreads under strain. It is something we need to to track this year. All right. Very little on the calendar today. It's just the final manufacturing premise out of Europe. Uh, the Caixin manufacturing premise out of China overnight. And we do have UK and US markets closed. Won't be a lot of volumes going through. And a bit of an odd offset in some of these data points. So the, Europe has its uh, stuff together to start the week because it's reporting its manufacturing and services PMIs on schedule. But in the U.S., the ISM is, is delayed until Wednesday, that, which means the uh, and that's manufacturing. And that means the services is not up until Friday, a good 90 minutes after the jobs report for December, which is, uh, you know, this is the whole first cluster of key U.S. data to start the year. So that's what we'll be watching for there. Do note, we do have the US FOMC mans. Could be some interesting little points in the discussion there, but the market does seem pretty darn insistent on its view of what it thinks the Fed will do with or without the Fed agreeing with the market expectations. So I doubt if that's much of an event risk there on uh, Wednesday. But yes, it is important time for traders and investors to stay on their toes. Look at how markets are shaping up because often this uh, big major highs and lows of the year, especially in currencies, uh, when we look back over recent years, uh, can be posted in the first uh, couple of weeks of the year. So keep that in mind. Let's be careful out there. And we'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.